complete world. It's Kurt Moreland, associate publisher with Utility Fleet Professional here with another edition of UFP Under the Hood. And we have a special guest today, Holly Giffrow Boss. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you ended up going to work there. Well, hi, Kurt. Thanks for having me. About what Essential Energy is? Sure. Yeah. Why don't you tell us like how many vehicles you're in charge of and the geographic area that you cover? Got it. We have about 200 pieces of equipment um, assets. They range from generators, building generators, to trailers, to skid loaders, to half-ton line trucks, to uh, real trailers. Um, We are located in central Minnesota, uh, basically between Duluth and Minneapolis-St. Paul, if you can envision that, because a lot of people know where those towns are, or cities. So we're in the nice, good old country, rural area. We, We are a distribution electric cooperative that serves power to 69,000 members in a 5,000 square mile area. That is awesome. Um, How do you and some of your friends and locals feel about the movie Fargo? (laughs) Uh, I thought it was funny, uh, but some people kind of got a little upset about that because as you can hear, we don't really talk like that, you know. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It was a good movie. Yeah, hey there, Margie. (laughs) Get out in the boat. <laughs> right. Yeah. We gotta go. We gotta go fishing for walleye, eh? Eh, yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was a good show though, for sure. It was. Well, I'm glad you uh glad we straightened straightened uh, people out <laughs> on that one. So uh take me a, a path of how you ended up uh working for a utility as a fleet manager in Minnesota? Did you start out working for uh, other automotive industries? Uh, Have you always been in Minnesota or did you um, move to another area of the country to to try the the market elsewhere? Yeah, um, I landed my my foot in the door of a small town dealership here where I grew up um, and just took it to do something after I graduated high school. Uh, went to college for a couple quarters. That didn't really pan out for me. I wanted to work. So I took over a position for a friend in a little Ford dealership. Very tiny. We had probably four technicians and a service manager. Myself, I did payroll, titling, worked in service. Just just a little sponge trying to learn everything that I can. And it was fun. So it, I just, I ended up not leaving. But uh, went out to California, followed someone that was supposed to be a temporary gig, and uh, uh, ended up walking into a dealership out there, told him, I can kick some butt for you in here. Just tell me what you need me to do, and I'll do it, and got hired on the spot. And 14 years later, I was working for a pretty large um, ownership out there, um, Savarani Group, said said Automotive Group out in the Bay Area. Um, When I started with them, they had, I think, four dealerships. And when I left 14 years later, he had nine scattered all throughout the Bay Area. And I ended up being probably the last um, 10 years, I was a fixed operations parts and service director for Ford dealership and Chrysler dealership for him. So really, I think a lot of my um, experience came from being out there, started in Minnesota, and then 
Then I wanted to come back to the countryside in, you know, small town Midwest. So I came back and worked for a dealership uh, managing three stores for him up in Brainerd. And then uh, I heard about this position at ECE and thought, hmm, that'll be a new challenge. Being in fleet was a little different. Um, And I got it. And I've been here 16 years. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that I love about the industry is the diversity of the products that you work with. So, I mean, you know, when you're working at a dealership, you're going to have some cookie cutter products kind of, but you know, you, do you have any all-terrain vehicles in your fleet? I mean, that's what I really enjoy is just everything from small economy cars to, you know, large all-terrain vehicles. Yeah, we have cool stuff. I mean, I just took delivery yesterday of a Polaris Ranger 1000 has tracks because, you know, before we got on a recording here, we were talking about our snow that we've got here in the last couple months. And uh, one of the worst storms that we've ever experienced here at ECE being in the winter is real bad, you know, with no electricity, majority heat their homes with heat. It's, it's detrimental. Uh, It's a severe emergency. So we had to rent snowmobiles, but anyway, we've been buying equipment, off-road equipment with tracks so that we can cruise out in this stuff. When we have to go on a right-of-way and check a line, um, we don't have trucks that can get out there because the snow is five feet deep. So yeah, we're getting equipment like that. We have an amphibious um, vehicle, a mud ox, as compared to an Argo, but a real good product made here in the US. So yeah, lots of stuff like that. I like the variety as well. It's a good point. Yeah, you know, um, with the crazy weather we're having, you know, there's been snow in California, Texas and stuff. I think I kind of like this subject. We we can, you can help educate some of the other fleet managers around here about, you know, things to think about in snow and cold weather. Like, do you have tire chains? Yes, we do. Yep. Even, even if a vehicle is four-wheel drive, a vehicle has the hydraulic front assist easy track system, which we have quite a few trucks that do. Chains are kept on the vehicles. I'm going to kind of stay with this subject. Let's talk a little bit about shop maintenance. Um, So as far as like in shop maintenance, I've heard that some fleet managers, they actually do a different formula of fuel in the wintertime, or maybe they do different engine additives for cold weather or that. Can you share a little bit of your experience with us on some of the things that you do to prepare your fleet for winter? Yeah, good question. And very needful for us, Kurt. We've This year has been really crazy. We've had, I don't know if there's bad fuel being put in these gas stations around here um, or the gelling issue that you hear quite off of in the biodiesel that we run here in Minnesota. Um, if you don't get the premium, there is a difference at the pump and all stations will label it different. But if you don't get that premium biodiesel, um, we are having huge issues with um, things that are gelling up and it literally, you take the filter off of it and you're finding a big clump of goo. Just, just as you see, it looks like a piece of jello. Um, lots of breakdowns. We've had to go through filters big time Um So I don't know if it's uh, just a bad run of fuel that we're getting, but yeah, we have to prepare a lot. So we do put additives in. 
Um, issues that we've been having, uh, we've seen lately too, is some of our generators, which are mobile generators, like 150 kW that we put out to operate several businesses during outage, something like that in the winter, they're used a lot. When you have that gelling issue, they're meant to be out running these homes or the businesses for, you know, 15 to 24 hours. And when you have bad fuel, my technicians are having to go out there in the middle of the night and change out filters and try to figure it out. Um, it's, it's a struggle, real struggle. How about for engine oil? Do you switch to a different engine oil over the winter versus the summer? We do not. Okay. No, no, we, uh, stick with what we use and, um, most of it's synthetic and we do, I know a lot of shops for, um, you know, financial reasons and ease of having the oil there when you need it. Some of them will tend to put in the same grade oil and everything. We do not. We we bulk 540, we bulk 1540, we bulk 530, 520. Um, we go specific for what the OEM requests for that vehicle. And we don't switch it up. It's the same all year round. And what do you do about tires? Do you, I imagine that you guys go to a higher traction winter tire or do you have all around tires or? We always go to a uh, very aggressive tread tire. Okay. Always. Only time that we don't is if we just purchased a, a brand new vehicle and it comes with what it comes with because you don't have a lot of options. Half tons, you have none. Three quarter tons, none. One tons, none. Um, line trucks are starting to get um, a little more flexible with picking the brand and whether it's going to be a steer or drive, you know flat steer tire, but um, we do, we go with a aggressive tread. They're all the same. Um, and we have actually uh, pre-purchased, um, we were able to last year um, use up some additional dollars from our budget that I stayed with within, yay, <laughs> um, for the year. So we decided to pre-purchase things because we were getting a hard time having tires, the tire that we want. Obviously, it's way more expensive, but we are really having a hard time with them getting to us. That procurement issue that I know we'll probably talk about a little bit, but that was one of them. So um, I actually pre-bought, and I think we put in probably $80,000 worth of tire, worth of rubber, just to keep at our facility. Let's talk about that supply chain issue. That's a hot topic for um all of uh, utility fleet managers. And I'd like to think that this podcast is not just for utility fleet managers, but for all fleet managers out there, all work truck, you know, fleet managers. Um, what have you run into and um, what have you done to find any solutions to help with uh, the supply chain issue? Yeah, that's a really good question because that's on our radar on a daily basis. Um, we've ran into, like I just said, tires. Um, we pre-bought filters also, and the filters weren't necessarily getting to be a, a big thing, but I got worried because if you can't preventative maintenance and change your filters out on your routine service intervals, we're in trouble. That's one of the most important things we can do to keep a fleet healthy is routine maintenance. And so we pre-bought those. Um, but yeah, we're finding parts issues and i uh, trying to find a TCM for a transmission, uh, can't get a BCM for a computer on a vehicle. You can't, 
um, put me on the spot a little, Kurt, but just there is procurement procurement issues. I'm really blessed that I've uh, I got a position here with an ECE that we have a, a fleet support service person. His job entirely um, every day is to order the parts for the technicians and make sure the shop consumables and um, all the tools are there so they can do a job and complete it. So he has been really, really good at finding alternatives when we can't find something. Um, a simple pullout drawer that we needed for a capsule that we put on a truck that's going to be a, one of our meter techs on a half ton, uh, they couldn't get the drawers for us. And it's something that we've spec'd before. Um, we've got several trucks that have them on. Well, now they can't get material. So <laughs> we look local and you know what we've done a lot of, to be honest, I'm really lucky in this aspect too, that we have very four very, very talented fleet technicians because we have been outsourcing way less. So aluminum pullout drawers now we're making ourselves in our shop instead wow. of waiting for this company to come through. It went from uh, about three grand up to $5,800 for one from this company. And plus they told us it's going to be four months out. So we went local, we got our own material and we're doing it ourselves. So do you, do you mind me asking how much you save by doing it yourself? Um, I mean, 3,500 bucks. Okay. Well, that's good. So you really <laughs> gave a cut, you gave a couple of really good tips there. Like uh, I could, I could see uh, maybe hiring uh somebody out of college or, or having an intern supplement, you know, your, your parts and um, shop maintenance uh, materials to, to really investigate that, you know, so it doesn't all fall on your shoulders is a good tip. And, and yeah, uh, absolutely. And yeah, I guess a lot of fleet managers are getting very creative and, and doing some of their own, own things. Yep. We have to outsource and, and look for things, alternatives in our neighborhood. It's thinking outside the box that you normally wouldn't. Um, and you got to do what you got to do because we don't have time to wait for a part that's not going to be here for four months. You know, I mean, and, very... and then the same token, this isn't procurement related, but I don't know what's happening out there, but, you know, we probably relied 20% on uh, outsourcing when our workload uh, was such that it was pretty heavy. We'd have to send a repair out. Maybe it's an exhaust manifold or something that we could do in-house, but we're going to send that job out because our workload is more important to focus on these higher priority things in the shop. But we're finding that it's just difficult to get vehicles in on a timely fashion too. So not only have we been a little overloaded taking on tasks, we would have another company, a vendor build. We're doing that in-house. We're doing more work in-house that we would have normally send to vendors. So that's really amped up our, our workload. feels like our productivity has been shattered a little because we have a lot more things waiting, you know, in the background to get scheduled in and done. But we're actually looking, we're probably going to be discussing, I'm having a meeting this month with my VP and my boss to talk about a possible another fleet tech because of all these added things. And back to procurement, and I'm probably talking too much now, Kurt, <laughs> but... No, I'm learning a lot, <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are too. And you actually, that was going to be the next question I was going to ask you was if you were going to need to hire another fleet tech. And so you answered that question for me. But yeah, let's yeah. keep the uh, procurement uh, yep. 
discussion going. It's good. Another layer that is affecting us and our efficiency. Um, so we can't line trucks. Line trucks have been a procurement, and um, we're talking the thirty-three thousand to fifty-six thousand GBW trucks. So I have uh, every year we do budget uh, probably two or three of those size vehicles. And I have not even been able to place the order yet for our 2022. We have a reserve going, but they have not opened the order bank. I'm hopeful it's soon, uh, but we are, we're gonna be two to three years behind the year that we actually budgeted for the truck. Um, so we're keeping vehicles longer, which when we idle for eight hours a day in the kind of occupation that our linemen do, um, it's, it wreaks havoc on these diesel engines. So now we're having to uh, repair probably a handful, two handfuls of trucks that we normally would have retired and replaced already. And so that's more work because the more idle time and hours they get, the more they're going to have to be in the shop and get, you know, addressed with issues. So it's just a whole layer of lots of stuff. That's why we're going to look into an additional technician. Don't know when that'll happen. And I know it'll be approved. So um, but it's going to be a discussion, a discussion we're having right now. Well, you know, and then I'm going to move right into the next subject, which is, um, you know, we were at the Upper Midwest Utility Fleet Council meeting in uh, Red Wing, Minnesota, and a lot of the truck vendors came in and talked about what they have coming down the pipeline. And almost all of them were talking about EV trucks and not necessarily, you know, it's going to be more accessible in the near future, they were trying to say to get an EV truck than a diesel truck. So are you looking into that at all? Cause I know that you've tried the EV uh, bolt. Uh, so yeah, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Are you eyeballing any? Sure. First of all, uh, yeah, EVs it's coming. It's gonna be cool. Is it for every application in my opinion? No. And I'd love to talk EVs with everybody out there, but Please, OEMs, get me my diesel chassis first. <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> I gotta worry about those first. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. But uh, yeah, we are not not going to be going to an EV, uh, you know, large duty, heavy duty chassis. They're not even really out there anyway. They they say that they're coming, but they're not. Um, and. Uh, Medium duty, the one thing that we did order, this is one of our 2022 budget items that I'm waiting on the chassis for. It will be a full diesel chassis, heavy duty chassis, but we are gonna go with um, the electric or the hybrid unit. Um, it'll be all tech unit. So this boom, it'll be a bucket truck. It's a TA 50, 50 foot bucket truck. Um, it will have the capability of running off an electric battery with the chassis off for a certain number of hours during the day to work. So we are, we have ordered one of those. Um, again, just waiting for that chassis to get built. So that's one thing we're going to try. And then I have a Ford Lightning on reserve. Uh, that was been on reserve since 2022, about May. We reserved it, haven't heard anything on that. We have a Chevy Bolt that's been in our fleet for quite a few years. And we do have a Malibu, Chevy Malibu hybrid. But we have really nothing on the horizon at this point for any more than that. Yeah. How's the, how's the bolt been working for you? How you, if you've had it for a while, 
um how's the how's the battery holding up um battery is holding up but it has been replaced um with an it was a factory issue recall so it has been replaced it's had to be parked outside several times before the the issue got resolved by chevy but um but other than that the car has been pretty cool it's been good um, we do have a nice wrap on it to show off the EV. We are a utility company. We have to promote the electricity, of course. <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. It's been good. That's good. I'm glad that I uh, took care of it and you didn't have to incur any overhead in replacing the battery yet. Nope, not yet. Sounds like it's going to be pretty costly when we do, but so far we haven't had to. So that's okay. good. That is good news. Okay, well, I'm, I'd like to, uh, anybody who follows the podcast knows that I love a good wildlife story. <laughs> and since you're up in the middle of Minnesota, um, have you uh, run into or any of your friends run into any wildlife up there? Yeah, um, I'm going to share a story via a friend of mine, but it is up in our neck of the woods. And there's been a lot of talk about mountain lions being up in this area now. Or if they have been, they've been pretty elusive and pretty smart staying away. But we've been seeing them a lot. Uh, Brother-in-law seen one in the western side of Wisconsin right in his yard. Well, this girlfriend of mine was pulling up in her driveway, and she's in a rural area. Um, She came upon, at the end of her driveway, a mama mountain lion with two baby cubs. Oh. Cool sight. Yeah, whenever whenever you see a a mother animal with babies you're that's that's a high high warning situation there yeah absolutely I guess they were really really cute mom was really really big (laughs) and uh checking her out as she drove in her driveway um but yeah she grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and got him out of there as quick as my girlfriend seen her but pretty cool they're beautiful well I'm I'm glad your girlfriend didn't think that they were it was a you know one of the one of the mountain lion uh, uh, kittens or whatever you call them, pups, wasn't wasn't it wasn't an, a lost neighborhood cat and tried to take it in the house. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, she tried to be a goner. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, man, I I learned so much on this podcast. So, like, the other thing I wanted to ask you that I ask everybody is like, um, okay, this is like the Back to the Future question. So, um, if you went back and uh, revisit, went back to the future to revisit young Holly. Um, what advice would you give her or, you know, any, any, any tips that, you know? (laughs) Oh, Kurt, you asked such good questions. Um, (laughs) uh, really, to be honest, I wish I could be like Miss Inspirational right now and give people this big jolt of, yeah, I want to do that. I would say nothing because where I landed in the end and I'm 53 years old um, is a great place. Being in a fleet, a fleet service, it's just super cool. Um, But I wouldn't have got here without all the experience that I've had. And being a sponge, learning, wanting to learn more. When you know something, it's just not enough. You want to know more and be just diligent. But I've landed in a great spot. I'm very blessed. I love working in the fleet. Um, like you said, the vast different equipment that you get to deal with. And, um, you know, I don't want to say this, I guess, but being being in retail is a little different than not being in retail. It's not as stressful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just simply not as stressful. Um, 
yeah, it's just awesome. And our utility isn't going anywhere. People are going to need power and they're going to need good people to make sure that we have the equipment that they need to go out and work every day. And I love it. So I, I don't think I'd say anything, but ditto, do it again, Holly. Wow. <laughs> that's a great, uh, that, that's very inspirational. That's great. Well, and kind of on that same note, um, you know, we did a, a feature article on you. Our, our editor, Sean Lydon, did an article on you uh, back in our August 2019 issue. This, that was like pre-pandemic. That seems like it was a whole nother world ago. It does. But, but in there, you know, you talk about being one of the few lady fleet managers in our market. And so I have to ask you, I mean, have you noticed uh, more women, more ladies that seem to be entering not only our market, but uh, fleets in general? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's changing every year. And when we did that article, it wasn't as much. But yeah, you do. You see now that we're back out and attending meetings and, you know, the Upper Midwest Utility Fleet Council, I am a board member on that. And I've been, I think, on the board since about 08, 06, probably 08. Um, but at even the meetings that we we have now, there's probably 10 of us girls there, you know, and that's way more than we've ever seen before. And it's just really, really cool. So it's not even a thing we can talk about anymore, I don't think. It's, you know, it's not yeah, even yeah, like that's, a that's relevant great. thing I, anymore. Yeah I've, yeah, I've noticed that too. And I think yep. you mentioned to me that you you try and, and get get out to NAFA when, it, when it's in the area. Yep. And I'm sure you must notice there's more lady fleet managers overall too, which is good. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's a cool thing. You'd be and, a, you're a good you're a good mentor too. You'd be a good mentor for them. Well, thank you. So um I think we've pretty much covered everything. I, I've learned a lot and I'm so glad that uh you were able to, you know, uh jump on this podcast and and be a guest. And I want to thank you. Um, you know, Holly Giffro, uh boss. Yep. East Central. Energy. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, for for being our guest. And again, I, I learned a lot and uh you're an inspiration to a lot of people out there. And I, I again I could see you being a good mentor for for a lot of people out there. So thanks again. Thanks, for Kurt. Here. Yeah. It's a very nice compliment. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for all you do in our industry. So with that, that wraps up another one of our uh, UFP Under the Hood podcasts. And uh uh, Holly and I would just like to remind everybody out there to roll safe. Yes, sir. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.